Praise the Lord for full salvation. Let's go before him in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again to worship your name, to worship your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who completed and perfected our salvation. And Lord, we thank you as we also been commemorating his death and resurrection when he came and died for the penalty of our sins and also being raised because he had fully completed that payment. And now we are justified by him, by grace alone and faith alone, because he alone accomplished our redemption. And Lord, we pray now for understanding as we go into your word. We knock your doors that you may, may open to us the things of heaven, spiritual things, that we may see them for what they are. Oh Lord, we pray that even those who shall listen after this fact will hear what it is, says the Spirit. We pray and thank you for your word. We thank you for this time, and we thank you for understanding. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in John 5. We are in the book of John. And what we are doing now is not a detour. It's basically expanding on the words of Jesus to show you that God has said more about the relationship of the law to the gospel. Because basically that's what Jesus is talking about. He's talking law and gospel here. You have Moses, the representative of the law, and we have Jesus, the representative of the gospel of grace. So we have to understand that because even here, Jesus does not say the law is bad, and Apostle Paul does not say the law is bad. But they come and say, there's a relationship that you have to understand about Moses and the gospel. Moses has a particular function. Moses is not for salvation. Moses is for diagnosis. It's just to tell you that you're a sinner and to tell you that you can't do it. You have to come to the one that God has appointed. Jesus Christ is the one who is able to do it. And so Jesus says to the Jews... Moses is the one who is going to condemn you because he wrote about me. He wrote about salvation through the coming Messiah. So everything that Moses was talking about was pointing to Christ. So now the New Testament gives us more light as it explains to us the relationship between all these things that God was working and prophesying in the Old Testament. So we'll go back to John 5, 45 to 47. That's our launch pad. And we are going to be launching a lot of missiles from this chapter for the next three sermons. And then we are done. For now. But my reasoning is it helps you get some foundation to really understand what we are talking about when we say it's 
Christ alone. We are not saying everything that God gave in the Old Testament was bad. No, it wasn't bad. It's just that that's not how God was determining to serve people. That was not the full script of what God was doing. It was just the beginning, the introduction of the actual work that Christ himself would come and accomplish. So that's the relationship of things. So go back to John 5, 45 to 47, and read the words of the Lord, who says to the Jews, Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And today we are going to be working that understanding in Romans 7 and continue from where we left off last week from Romans chapter 7 verses 6 to 13. Romans 7, 6 to 13. But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound so that we serve in newness of the spirit and not in oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? That's verse 7 of Romans 7. Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So our title still is, If You Believed Moses, and this will be part four. Or you can say, the law is not for righteousness. We could have had that as our sermon title. The law is not for righteousness, part one, part two, part three, part four. If you believed in Moses, Part 1, part 2, part 3, part 4. Law versus grace, part 1, part 2, part 3, part 4. That's essentially what we are teaching. But going back to the context of the words of the Lord in John 5, we have the Jews stumbling at Jesus because they did not understand what Moses and the law were teaching. They thought that they had righteousness and life through their obedience to the law of Moses. And of course, they are mad at Jesus. 
They've been met at Jesus as soon as Jesus shows up. Met at Jesus. They are met at Jesus because he has healed a sick man on the Sabbath. And Jesus almost always heals people on the Sabbath to drive them crazy. And, oh boy, they always fell into his hands. So in their righteous indignation, they sought out to straighten out Jesus. They sought out to straighten the Lord. But the Lord took the opportunity to straighten them out instead. To put them in their rightful place as sinners and ignorant sinners at that. And so the Lord comes and says, No, you are failing to understand what Moses was writing. Moses and the law were testifying about me, that is Jesus. They were testifying about Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was about Jesus. The law and the prophets were about Jesus. So a proper reading of Moses should have caused you to come to me, but you are unwilling to come that you may have life. You are unwilling to come to me, not to Moses. You are unwilling to come to me that you may have life because as things stand, you don't have life. They were unwilling to come to Jesus because in their mind, they thought they already had it. They thought they had the law. They had all the covenants. They had the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they thought Moses was given for their justification. But they were also unwilling to come to Jesus just like everybody in our own time. Men are unwilling to believe our gospel because they are not able to believe the gospel unless they are born again. God has to make everyone who comes to Christ willing by giving them a new birth. So the Lord Jesus said, if one is understanding the law right, if one is understanding the law right and what it demands, they have no option but to run to him, their city of refuge. And as we have been learning from Apostle Paul, the law was given for a purpose. And it was not for sinners to attain a righteous standing before God by trying to obey it. Rather, the law was given to show sinners that they are sinners and are unable to obey it. And Apostle Paul is going to pick up this point in Romans 7, 6 to 13, which we shall expand on a little later. But so far, from the previous sermons, we have learned that Moses, the law, the old covenant, not the Old Testament. We have to make a distinction. The Old Testament are all the books from Genesis to Malachi. That's the Old Testament. The Old Covenant is that covenant that God made with Israel on Mount Sinai. So when we are talking about Moses, we are specifically talking about 
the covenant that God made with Israel that has the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are the heart of the Old Covenant. And all those were given to teach us that we are sinful. To give us the knowledge of sin. That's what Apostle Paul says in Romans 3.20. And he says, the law was also given to cause transgressions to increase. Galatians 3.19 and Romans 5.20. And also for the accounting of those transgressions. You have to have an accounting of your sins that you may know that you're a sinner. And this is according to Romans 5.13. And also to drive us to Christ. To drive us to Christ. Galatians 3.23-25. But once Christ had been revealed... We saw that the law, the old covenant, was no more binding on the ones who have faith in Christ. Once someone comes to Christ, they have been translated from the realm of the old covenant into the new covenant. Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 3, 25-27. But now that faith has come, now that Christ has come, now that grace has come, now that the gospel has come, now that the new covenant has come, we are no longer under a tutor. The guardian, the disciplinarian, the corrections officer. Why? Verse, 27, verse 26 of Galatians 3. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. But you'd have thought that if that was the case, the apostle would have said, now, because you are the sons of God, you should go back to Moses. You should go back and obey the law since it's good. But he doesn't say that. He actually says the exact opposite and says, your sonship in Christ is what frees you from the law of Moses. Because of Christ, you are not under the guardian the law any longer. Verse 27. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So all those who have clothed themselves with Christ have their togas of righteousness. They have their robes of righteousness. That Roman garment, if you remember, that was only worn by free Roman citizens. Those who did not work, but were royalty. And if you still remember, it, it was the slaves who wore the tunics. And the tunics, we are told, were more free-flowing because the servants, the slaves, would need to work. This was the working class. But we who are in Christ have been clothed with the togas of the righteousness of Christ, 
and we have come of age as heirs. We do not need to be wearing the tunics. The tunics are for those who are working for their own salvation. Our salvation is complete. So Jesus is the end of the law for righteousness. For everyone who believes, justification is righteousness. Sanctification is righteousness. And that's what you need. And you can't get it from the law. Jesus is the end for your quest to be righteous before God. Whether to be legally declared as righteous or to actually be righteous. It does not come from your observance of the law. It has to come through what Christ has done. Whatever the Lord demanded to be done finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Complete fulfillment in Jesus. So that whoever is in Jesus is considered by God to be 100% in compliance with everything that the law requires of them. If you are in Jesus, God sees you as having completely fulfilled the law. Now, on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't feel like, Sister Becca, you fulfilled the law. Because it wasn't you who actually did it. It's Christ who did it on your behalf. According to your day-to-day experience, you struggle with sin because the righteousness that you have is not an intrinsic righteousness, but is an imputed righteousness. It's a righteousness that God has given to you By law, by his law. It's not something that you have in yourself that you can feel and say, oh, today I am so righteous. You are not going to feel your righteousness. If you try it, you are going to be very disappointed. But the gospel that we preach says, because of Christ, God sees you as righteous. Even though you don't feel righteous, God sees you as righteous. But there are some preachers, and there are a lot of them, who are afraid to teach what the scriptures actually say about the law with respect to believers because they think that if they tell people that they are not under the law, they are promoting sin. The problem is that is not what the scriptures are teaching. The scriptures are clear over and over to declare to us that the one who is in Christ is not under the law of Moses. And this is some confusion that you find in a lot of these guys. They think that every time that they see the word commandment, it always means the Ten Commandments. That's the problem. When they hear or read somewhere where it says, obey God's commandments, in their mind, it can't be anything else but the Ten Commandments. But that's not true. The gospel has its own commandments. 
To believe in Christ is actually a commandment. Listen to 1 John 3, 21 to 24. 1 John 3, 21 to 24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Listen to verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. So they'll say right there. Those are the Ten Commandments. But let's keep reading. Verse 23. This is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ. And love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him. Which commandments? The commandments that we've just read. To believe in the Son of God and to love one another. And you see these commandments repeated in the New Testament. Even by Apostle James, Peter, Apostle Paul. To love one another. Those are the commandments. That's not the old covenant. So true gospel preaching has to lead one to the conclusion that the believer in Christ is not under the law of Moses. But they are under a different administration and authority of the Holy Spirit. If this man would just read what the scriptures are saying, just open the text and work with what the text is saying, they would come to no other conclusion than that the law has discontinuity for one who is in Christ. The believer in Christ does not operate or use the law of Moses for obedience, that is for justification or sanctification. It is not taught in the new covenant. The scriptures, the new covenant, are clear that the believer is under a new and better system of obedience. Obedience to faith and not to the law of Moses. They walk by the new commandments of Christ as we just had from John, 1 John 3, 21 to 24. And the believer walks by the Spirit and not according to the flesh. Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3 12, the law is not of faith. The law is not of faith. And if the law is not of faith, you're in trouble. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And the man who does them, the man who practices the law, shall live by them. If you decide to follow the law of Moses, you are bound to do everything that the law of Moses says for you to do. So you better be getting some gods and booze. The one who attempts to live by the law is liable to do everything that the law says to be done. But praise the Lord for the new covenant. Praise the Lord for 
the gospel of grace. Because by the new covenant, this is what we learned in Romans 7, 4. We were made to die to the law through the body of Christ so that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. As far as God is concerned, one is either married to the law or to Christ. Any other marriage situation is committing adultery. And the penalty of committing adultery is death according to the law. All people, whether they know it or not, they like it or not, are born married and bound to the law. But the believer is set free from that marriage through the death of Christ. The believer in the death of Christ is reckoned to have died to their relationship with the law and its obligations on them. In the death of Christ and their union with him, the believer is reckoned to have died from the sphere where the law has jurisdiction and were raised up alive to another sphere where the law has no more jurisdiction. I gave an example, and I'll give it again. It is like living your life in water, and then suddenly you are translated to live your life on land. Water and land are different spheres. These are spheres that have their own laws of existence. If you are a water creature, you need gills to breathe like fish. But on land, you breathe through the nose. Or at least you should. You should be breathing through your nose. If you are on land. These are different ways of living. If you are on land, the sharks that are in the water cannot reach you anymore as they could before. Because you now exist in an environment where they have no power. The sharks can't get on land and still have the kind of power that they have. That's what has happened to the law because of Christ. In Christ, the law can't reach you anymore because you have been translated into an environment where the law has no jurisdiction and there's no power. And this transaction has been sanctioned and is recognized as a legitimate legal transaction by God himself. God sees the believer in union with Christ so that in the death of Jesus, the believer also died and suffered the consequences of their sins without ever you feeling it. 
That's brilliant. And that's why Christ has to be honored. But not only that. In the resurrection of Christ, the believer also rose in victory and is now legally married to Jesus. So what we see here is both the law and Jesus are husbands. And you can't stay divorced. You have to be married to one of them. (laughs) But you can't be married to both without committing adultery and suffering the consequences of it. The law and Christ are both very jealousy husbands. I'm telling you the truth. The law and Christ are both very jealousy husbands. They won't tolerate you having one leg in the law and one leg in, the, in Christ. That is the picture. That is the picture. But the law was a bad husband. The law was a bad husband in that you could not please the law. And you could not please the law because of the weakness of your flesh. Because of sin. So the law could always and could only tell you that you are a bad wife. You didn't do the dishes right. You didn't cook right. You didn't iron the clothes right. You didn't clean right. That's all the Lord could do for you. But Jesus is the better husband because he sets you free from a bad marriage. And he gives you everything that you need to be a good bride. So he gives you the righteousness. He gives you the power. He forgives your sins. Galatians 5, 1 to 5. Galatians 5, 1 to 5. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace, for we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So Christ set us free from our marriage to the law and its demands and its cases. And we were set free so as not to be married to it again but to be married to Jesus. And to that Apostle Paul says, keep standing firm. Do not be moved. And that's a military term, actually. It's a military term that's translated, keep standing firm. Do not be moved by those who want to bring you back into the bondage of the law. Do not permit those who want to sound obedient and righteous by trying to bring you back under the yoke of slavery 
or push you over back to the bondage of the law. So the law is pictured as a slave master who gets you under the yoke. He puts you under the yoke of slavery. And if you're under the yoke, guess what? You're always pulling burdens. You are always pulling burdens. You never yoke oxen to have fun with it. Whenever an ox is under a yoke, if you're pulling burdens, nothing else. The yoke is a tool for pulling burdens. That's what the yoke is for. So once marriage to the law is pictured as slavery, and since it's pictured as slavery, it means you have no rights or freedom when you're under the law. So Apostle Paul says here in the book of Galatians, receiving circumcision is placing oneself under the law. But this is not about circumcision. It just happened that it was circumcision. This is not about circumcision. But if circumcision brings back all the demands and liabilities of the law on the person, then it means Whatever else you or I choose from the law of Moses to do for our own justification or sanctification obligates us to do the whole law. Even the one thing. With the Judaizers, Apostle Paul says, just the one circumcision obligates you to the whole law. Whatever thing that you think you can do for your justification, God says that obligates you to everything that the law says and you do it by yourself. Works righteousness obligates one to do the whole law. The law is a unit. It can't be split into different pieces that we like and those that we don't like. That is how God looks at it. And preachers need to understand this. To help themselves for their own salvation and the people that they are shepherding. One is justified and accepted by either standing on the righteousness of Christ alone or standing on their own obedience to the law. If you attempt to be justified by the law, Christ profits you nothing for salvation. You have fallen from grace, the Apostle Paul says. You have fallen from grace as the basis of seeking acceptance by God. Falling from grace, this is what is being said. God is saying these are the two ways that you can come and be accepted. It's either the route of grace or your own obedience. If you kick in your 1% towards grace, God says grace is no more there for you. You have to stand by yourself. So it's an either or situation. The law cannot be mixed with Christ's obedience to the law. So how do we do it then? How do we do it then? Apostle Paul, again in Galatians 3, 5. 
no, Galatians 5, verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, through the Spirit, by the instrument of faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So, if you want righteousness, this is how you wait for righteousness. Through the Spirit and by faith. It is through the Spirit and by faith that we obtain and wait for the hope of righteousness. It is through the Spirit working in us and building us up in faith that we get justified by God. Now we'll go back to Romans 7, 6 to 13, and connect the pieces one more time. Romans 7, 6 to 13. I'll go verse by verse. So you know that we are coming to an end when we get to verse 13. If we spend the next 45 minutes in verse 6, then remember, be reminded that we still have more verses. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Romans 7, 6 to 13. But now we have been released from the law having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in the oddness of the letter. That's almost like what Apostle Paul just said to us in Galatians 5.5. 5, For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. So in Christ we died to the law to which we were bound. We were released from our bondage that we may serve God in a better way. In the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. But if you are bound, you can do nothing. If you are bound, you can do nothing. Your hands need to be set free. Your legs need to be set free. You are shackled if you are under the law. That's the picture. So one who is under the law is incapable to serve God in a way that pleases God. Because they are like one who is in a spiritual prison. You need to have the freedom of not having to fear God to serve him right. As when they were doing in the Old Testament. They were serving God with fear. Because every time that they stumbled, God killed them. Nadab and Abihu, they were electrocuted one time. Why? Because that's what the law says. By those who approach me, I shall be considered as holy. That's what the Lord says. Those who have been set free in Christ can serve God without fear. That is one of the things that Apostle Paul discusses in Romans 8, if I remember well, as one of the results of being justified. That you are not afraid anymore. And that is why we have been working a lot for many moons and months on the doctrine of justification. Because if you don't understand the doctrine of justification, you are in trouble. Everything else that you do is condemning. Always feeling self-condemned. Never doing anything right. We have to understand that in Christ we have been justified 
and we have peace with God. Verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. The Apostle Paul has someone who is objecting to his teaching. He has someone who is objecting to what he is talking about. Because he's coming from Romans 6. And he is working the theology of sin and the law. There's someone who is in the background who thinks Apostle Paul is messed up. And this is the question that we always find when it comes to Jesus and the gospel and the law. People raise the question about the relationship that the believer has to the law of Moses. It is still unbelievable that many Christians and preachers do not understand this. Because it's not said in just one place in the Bible. It's all over the place. As we're going to find out. The people who are objecting to Apostle Paul are saying, like Festus, if you remember Festus in Acts 26, 24, he says to Apostle Paul, you are beside yourself, Paul. You are insane. You are out of your mind. Much learning is driving you crazy. This gospel of yours is nuts. That's what they're saying. How can you say one can be saved and be freed from law? Their conclusion then would be, if that is the case, Paul, then the law is sin. The law is sin. The law would in their minds be sin because Apostle Paul has said the law was given to increase transgressions. In their minds, the law is what causes sin. But the Apostle Paul objects and says, may it never be. God forbid. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Now the apostle explains how the law works. He explains the relationship of the law to sin. He says, no, the law is not sin. Rather, the law was given to reveal sin. See the distinction? The law was given to expose sin that the sinner may know that they are a transgressor. He says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. So it's only through the law that you ever come to know that you're a sinner. That's the only way. So the law is the only way that one knows that they're a sinner. The law is like x-rays, like an MRI. They are not for treatment. If you get zapped with x-rays, it's not for treatment of your cold. X-rays are for revealing 
that you have broken bones, that you have pneumonia in the lungs, that your spine is messed up, but you never heal broken bones by zapping them with x-rays. Pneumonia is not cured by x-rays. Rather, one is given a prescription of antibiotics. So the Lord diagnoses that you are a sinner and tells you about this prescription. But it is itself not the prescription. And x-rays are not the ones that broke your bones. They tell you, the doctor uses them to say, your bones are broken. So those who think that they are good, they just do not know the law. <laughs> those who think they are good just don't know the law. All those who know the law and what it demands know that they are not good. You see, the law only has one verdict. It tells you that you're a sinner. Or you're not a sinner. And it only did that one time to Jesus. Everybody else, it has the same conclusion. You're a sinner. Those who think that our gospel is foolishness is because they have not received their medical report. <laughs> they have not received the x-rays from the law of God. They would see how broken everything is about them. But as soon as they realize that the law is pressing for their eternal condemnation, they will run to Jesus. They will run to Jesus. They will run into the cleft of the rock and do not want ever to come from under the wings of Jesus. Once you understand what the law is asking you, Sister Becker, you don't ever want to run away from Jesus. There's only safety in Jesus. Apostle Paul says in verse 7, For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, You shall not covet. Thou shalt not covet is the tenth commandment. Ten out of ten. So Apostle Paul is not talking here about the ceremonial law of purification, as a lot of people say. They'll say, oh, when Paul is talking about the law, he's just saying we are not under the ceremonial law. You shall not covet. That's not part of the ceremonial law. That is the heart of the Ten Commandments. So he has the Ten Commandments, and he could have picked any one of them from the Ten Commandments, and the theology would have remained the same. So what is Apostle Paul saying? He's saying sin lay dormant in him and he was not aware of it. He was sinning all the while but was not aware of it until the Lord came and awakened him to the reality of the presence of sin in him. It is like what you see on uh, CIS episodes. I used to watch CIS back in the days. They have a murder scene, but they can't find blood on the carpet anywhere. 
And yet blood is there in the carpet. It was washed out. Someone did a good job of cleaning the carpet with Clorox. And it's not visible to the naked eye anymore. So what do they do? They bring some spray, some special chemical spray. And as soon as they spray it on the carpet, guess what? <laughs> they see that there's actually blood. Because the spray comes and it reacts with the blood that is in the carpet to make it visible. Whatever little remnants of blood in the carpet is going to show up. Okay? It makes it visible to the naked eye. But the chemical that was sprayed into the carpet did not cause the matter or spill the blood. It only revealed that which was already in the carpet. The blood that was in the carpet. And proves the evidence of spilled blood. And that is what the law does. It reveals that you are a sinner and who is unable to obey the commandments of God. And this is why every time that you think you are doing good, just as soon as you think you are doing good, you stumble again. Because you have sin that lies dormant in you. You have sin. You have a sinful nature that lies in you, that drives things in you. And later on, as we learn next week, the Lord willing, Apostle Paul now is going to say, we have this sin nature that is battling with the spiritual nature. And they start warring against each other. Because your sin nature is drawing you this way, and the spirit is drawing you the other way. So you have the sin nature, but that discovery is only made by the law. Verse 8. But sin taking opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind, for apart from the law, sin is dead. So when the commandment not to covet came, what happened? Did it make Apostle Paul an obedient person? Did it make Apostle Paul pleasing to God? Did it make him righteous? No, it did not. When the law came to Apostle Paul, it did not make him righteous. This is what happened to him. Sin took opportunity of the commandment. Apostle Paul here personifies sin as a very shrewd character. Like a very good businessman who will not miss any good business opportunities to make a profit. Sin is pictured as a very skillful hunter. A lion or hyena that is crouching. You have seen them crouching for prey. Very stealthy. They have to be as silent. They have to try to lie as dormant as they can so they do not cause their prey to run away. And they are waiting to pounce as soon as weakness or opportunity is sensed in the prey. As soon as sin saw the commandment, as soon as sin saw the commandment, it did not sit still. It took opportunity. 
it took opportunity to express itself. It amplified the coveting. It amplified the desire in you to want more of the bad things. Now you just did not covet just one thing. Apostle Paul says it produced coveting of every kind. It wanted everything of what it should not have. You covet everything. You go to the mall. You have 45 bucks. But you come back home with a trunk full of things. You went in there just buy a pair of sandals. But you come home with a ton of things. The car is literally just sitting on the highway like that. Full of stuff. Why? Because you went there thinking that you're getting one thing. And before you know it, your car is full. <laughs> your car is full. It's the sin nature in us that's driving you to do that. Because ultimately, guess what? You don't even need all those things. You already have enough that you left at home. So Apostle Paul says, that's what the law and sin do to you. As soon as sin sees the law, it gets alive. Listen to this. In part of verse 8. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the law, sin is dead. I'll give you another example. I don't know if you have ever used this epoxy glue. It comes in two tubes. And you have to open both. If the adhesive has to work. If you just try to glue things with just one, it doesn't work. You have to open both of them. Sin and law are like that. Sin needs law to be aroused so that it can stick to you. Sin comes in one tube <laughs> and the law comes in another tube. If one of the tubes is closed, nothing works. But as soon as you open both of them, boom. The law does not help you to get unstuck. It can only add more adhesive <laughs> to get you stuck. To arouse more of the sinful passions that I knew. However, apart from the law, sin is dead. Apart from the law, sin is lifeless. It's deactivated. It is dead. But sin is amazing that when it dies, it doesn't actually die. Have you ever seen this snake? I've seen this on National Geographic a lot. It always plays dead if it feels that it's in danger. It just plays dead. You can pick it up and it'll just behave like it's dead. But as soon as you go, it gets up and goes. Sin is dead. It's playing dead. Because as soon as the law shows up, guess what? It's alive again. That is why if you're in Christ, you don't want to be under the law. Because as soon as you introduce law, you awaken the sin that is in you. Because you still have the residual sinful nature in you. So the sin feeds on law 
The law is oxygen for sin. It needs the law. And that is why in the teaching of the New Testament, Apostle Paul says in Colossians 2.14, Jesus canceled, he destroyed, he wiped out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. That's the law. He wiped it out, that which was hostile to us, that which was contrary to us. The law has to be removed, otherwise it will continue to do the same thing. So in verse 9 he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin became alive and I died. Before the law came, sin lay dormant, as I, as I said. And the apostle felt that he was alive. He, he, he thought everything was good. He had no sense of guilt or condemnation. But he had a false sense of righteousness. He thought, he thought he was alive like many people who deny the gospel. They think they are, they are, they are alive. They think they are good and are really enjoying life. Especially this spring. Feeling very good. The weather's nice. Or life is good. But they're dead. But when the commandment came, that is when the Holy Spirit brought conviction to him, sin became alive. He realized that he was not righteous. He realized that he was dead. Sin was aroused. And he died and that means he was condemned. That's the death that he's talking about. The law brings condemnation. The law tells you that you are condemned. Verse 10. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. This commandment was supposed to give him life. The ten commandments were supposed to give him life. But what he discovered was instead they brought death to him because the law, the old covenant said the one who does it shall live by it. Listen to Deuteronomy 6 24-25 to and the Lord commanded us to observe all these statutes, that is, the whole law, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as it is this day. Then it will be righteousness for us. If we are careful to observe all these commandments, not one, if we are careful to observe all these commandments, before the Lord our God as he commanded us. So he thought that he had the righteousness of the law. Until conviction came. When the actual conviction came of what the law was asking of Apostle Paul. He realized that the very law that he thought would bring righteous to him, righteousness to him. Actually brought death. It proved to result in death and not life. How? Verse 11. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. What happened, Apostle Paul? 
sin took opportunity of the commandment. Sin always takes opportunity of the law of Moses. Sin, again, a very astute Wall Street business mogul. <laughs> took opportunity through the commandment and deceived him. Sin saw that the law was an open channel that had been opened for it to exercise itself without restraint. The law actually did not restrain sin. Hear this. The law never restrained sin. Rather, it caused sin to abound the more in order to produce death. That is very strange because we have been made to understand that the law is for reigning people in. But the Apostle Paul says, no, as soon as the law came, there was more trouble for me. What does it mean to say sin took advantage of the law, deceived and killed me? It's a very important understanding for us to have because, you see, these discussions are not made by people who claim law. Apostle Paul, Apostle Paul says, the law came demanding perfect obedience. But sin, being deceitful, outwitted him. It fooled him. It cheated him. It tricked him. It defrauded him into thinking that he was able to produce the righteousness that the law demanded. The sin in Apostle Paul hoodwinked him to believe that he was able to produce the righteousness that the law required. That is how sin deceived him. And because of that deception, he was killed by it. Because he realized he couldn't do it. And he realized that they saw that sins must die. So he thought he could do the law. And then realized he couldn't do the law. And then he understood the consequences of not doing the law. Death. So sin deceives you, Sister Becker, to think that you can produce the righteousness that God requires of you. Sin overstated to Paul his abilities to obey God. It clouded his mind and judgment that he thought obedience to the law of God is an easy matter. And those who continue to talk law as binding on Christians are not understanding what Apostle Paul is saying. Obedience to the law is not an easy matter and that is why the gospel calls us to a different kind of obedience, the obedience of faith. Because the faith in Christ does not deceive you. It tells you the truth that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled and honored the law, and because of that, is able to give life and not death. The law, because of sin, can only produce death in you. It doesn't matter how well you try. 
the wages of sin is death. The payout of sin, the fruit of law, obedience is death. Because you can't do it. The law requires 100%. Not 999999. That 0. 0.000001 is going to send you to hell. Verse 12. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous and good. So his conclusion against those who are accusing him of saying the law is sin, he says, no, no, no. The law is not sin. The problem is you. Because the commandment is holy, the law is good, and it's righteous. So the apostle has defended the law of God and said, it is not sin. And that's what we are saying to here. We are saying the law of God is good and righteous, but you can't do it. That's why you need to run away from it because it is your enemy. There's nothing wrong with the law. It's just you. You can't do it. Verse 18. Now that sounds like we're coming to an end then. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? If the law is good, <laughs> how then is it bringing death? How can something which is good bring something that's bad? He says, may it never be. If the law is good, Paul, how come it became a cause of death? Apostle Paul says, may it never be, God forbid. It is not the law that caused death. It was not what came to you that killed you. It was what was in you that killed you. The law came to you by Moses. Remember, Apostle John, in, the, in John 1, he says the law was given to Moses. So the law that came to you is not what killed you. What killed you was the sin that was in you. So the law was given to make a discovery for you that this is your real problem. There's something going on. It's not just that you have an infection. It's not just that you have cancer. The only reason why you are dying, Apostle Paul, is because of something that is in you. And it's sin. It's sin. It was sin. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by effecting my death. Through that which is good. So that through the commandment, sin would become utterly sinful. So it was sin that is responsible for death. People die only because they are sinners and nothing else. It is not because they got sick or they got run over by a car or drank some poison or they hung themselves. Sin is the only reason why people die. However they die. So God brought the law that it, may, it might be shown 
that there was something in man that was not good. And God determined that the law should effect death in the sinner as a sign that they are a sinner. The law was given to produce death in us that we may know of our condition as sinners. So to be a sinner is a spiritual state of being of all those born after the first Adam. And you do not have to steal to become a sinner. You are already a sinner whether you ever talk to anybody or live in a dark room from birth to death or you spend the rest of your life sleeping and then you die in your sleep. You are still a sinner by yourself. You are still a sinner. And so the law and its commandments were given to produce death in sinners that they may know that they are sinners. And this was all by God's sovereign will and purpose that Christ may come and redeem sinners. Nothing accidental here. This is not something that just happened by accident. And then God said, oh Jesus, what are we going to do now? What are we going to do with these people? This is a very systematic presentation of the work of God. To say this is how things are working. The law was given not for you to be righteous by it. Like what the Jews were thinking. They were studying the scriptures diligently, the Lord said. Thinking that in them they had eternal life. But it is they that testified of Christ. They missed that. Even many people, religious people, but the Jews were religious people. And they had, they thought they had everything together because they had the scriptures. And yet they stumbled at Jesus. And there are many people who are in the church who think they have it together. They are men and women of religion. They stumble again at Jesus. Why? Because they think they can do the law. They think we are saved to go back to Moses. No, you are saved to be in Jesus. The law was given for diagnosis. The expert surgeon. Non-invasive diagnosis of your deepest problem. I saw a surgeon caught that said the law is God's bulldog to chase his elect to Christ. It's God's bulldog. The Jews should have already discovered that they could not do the law and needed someone to deliver them from the deception of sin and its consequence, death. The law pointed to one who would come, the Messiah, to take away their sin, to pay for the penalty of sin, to fulfill what the law demanded without getting deceived. Jesus was sinless and therefore sin could not deceive him. The devil tried to come and deceive him, but that did not work because Jesus was sinless. Jesus, after he fulfilled the law, he removed it. He nailed it on the cross 
that it would not condemn anymore those who are in him. And that's the basis of the statement in Romans 8 that who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Who shall condemn? Because there's no basis on which anybody can come and say, oh, look at Becca. Look at what she did. God says, oh, there's no law to charge you. Christ removed it. So Jesus will say, with all that understanding, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, for what reason? In whom you have set your hope. For if you believed him, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you do not believe his writings, do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. It is the very law that you think you can do, that will accuse you. The sin in you has deceived you to think that you are able to be righteous by yourself. Moses wrote about Jesus. And Jesus says, come to me and get life. There's no life in the law for one who is a sinner. There's no righteousness there's no sanctification in the law. It only condemns. Praise the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again as those whom you have redeemed in Christ, redeemed from the curse of the law, the demands of the law, having fulfilled all things that the law required by your Son, and Lord, we know that all these things were fulfilled because he rose from the dead. Because if he could not rise from the dead, then it meant that death still had claim on him. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of grace, the gospel of your son, Jesus Christ. Free justification. Free sanctification. All because of Jesus. Lord, may you cause your people to see Jesus, to hear from Jesus, to learn from Jesus, and to love Jesus. Because he alone has honored all things that you have required of us. We pray and thank you for all those whom you have gathered here. Lord, may you be with them as they set their ways to go home. And we ask for your grace on all those of the household of faith who could not make it today for one reason or another. Lord, we pray that you would bring them at least to hear this message or bring them again next week that we may fellowship and worship you in the name of your Son. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.